This morning, we're going to talk about a next section now about God himself. We're going to talk about another action that God does, an action that God takes. And I'd like you to think about, as I begin, something like this. If you ever looked back at your life over the years and maybe been amazed at how God had protected you through a situation, but at the time you were in the situation, you weren't aware that God was actually working behind the scenes, working things out ahead of you. If you ever looked back at your life and seen how things have uh, happened to you maybe uh, last year, five years, 20 years ago, but things happened to you that you can look back and say, those events, those circumstances brought me where I am today, or they've made me who I am today. And you can maybe look back and say, I didn't realize it at the time, but I can see how God was working behind the scenes in my life in a situation. Well, that concept is called God's providence. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. We've explored who God is, what he's like, the actions of God, and we began with creation. Well, now I want to move to the next action of God, and it kind of dovetails off of creation because it logically works like this. The Bible records the first action of God is he created all things. Well, now the question becomes, well, what does he do with it? Well, he preserves it. He takes care of it. He maintains it. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You have in your bulletin some notes, and in there you'll find the statement from our Southern Baptist Convention's Baptist Faith and Message. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to focus on the part we're talking about today. It begins like this. There is one and only one living and true God. He is intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. This is the part I want you to focus on. He's the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. Now, these are the actions of God that I'm going to be talking about. Now, what I've done is reverse that a little bit, and we talked about the first action of God is He created, and we're going to talk about Redeemer at the end of not today, but in a future message. Today, we're going to focus on preserver. So God created all things, and then He preserves all things. But creation was the first act, and now through God's providence, I'll explain providence in a little bit, but through God's act of providence that we're going to talk about, He preserves and maintains all of life as we know it. We're going to focus on that action this morning. How is it that God preserves and provides for his creation? In what different ways does God provide and preserve for his creation? In the end, what I really want to do is help us focus on a couple of practical applications that if you can get a mental grasp of this doctrine I'm going to try to explain to us, it actually has some practical implications to it. Before we dive in, I would like to have a word of prayer. Bow with me, please. Lord, thank you for the songs we've heard, focusing our hearts and minds on worship to you. And now I'd ask, Lord, for the time in your word that you would make my thoughts clear and everything that I've studied, that Holy Spirit, you would just um, convict and move in hearts and minds as you will. And I do want to acknowledge, Father, we know that um, heaven has gained one of your saints, one of your children, Brother Harry. But we're, Lord, we're very sad at his passing but nonetheless, I am grateful to have known that man and for the impact that he had for your kingdom here. Please bring comfort to his family and friends and our own church family as we mourn his loss. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me begin by explaining this term I threw out, God's providence. What is God's providence? Providence is a broad term that refers to the ways in which God maintains and guides his creation. You can hear in that word providence another word, provide. It's when God provides and cares for his creation through this activity called providence. 
Now, I want you to think of providence in two big categories. On the one hand, it is God preserving or maintaining all the stuff he created in Genesis 1. The other thing, we're not going to talk about this today. This will be in our next message. The second way is God governs, guides, rules over his creation. He guides it to his intended purposes. But today I just want to look at this idea of how does God preserve and maintain, though, all the stuff that he's made? How does he preserve our own life as well? Now, I want to be honest, the word providence is not found in the Bible. However, it is very much taught in the Bible. It's like the word Trinity. You'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible, but the concept of God being three in one is all through the Bible. So providence is a word we've made up to explain what the Bible teaches. And what the Bible teaches is that God has powers and abilities to guide and work within his creation to preserve and maintain it and care for it. God is active in the day-to-day life of his creation is the idea here. Even when you and I don't realize it, God's actively working in your life through this concept of providence to make stuff happen in your life. I want to give you a good definition I like of providence. I didn't come up with it. A man named Millard Erickson did. I want to share it with you. I think it's pretty helpful. He says, by providence, we mean the continuing action of God by which he preserves in existence the creation he has brought into being and guides it to its intended purposes for it. I like that. That's a good one. So let me illustrate it for you a little bit. You could say something like this. I did such and such today. Fill in the blank with whatever such and such is. Just say, I did these things today. In reality, what we should say is this. I was able to do such and such today because God provided for my means and made a way for me to do those things. That's the idea of providence. See, we don't realize it, but we're doing stuff. But behind the scenes, God was permitting us to do those things. He was providing our means for us to do those things. To be blunt, I'm standing here before you today delivering this message because of God's providence in my life for the last 35 years. Now, I'm not always consciously aware of that, but it is absolutely how it's worked. Providence has brought me here. If it were not for God providing for the means for me and opening doors for me, protecting and preserving my life over the last 35 years, I could not be here as your pastor. You could probably say the same about various things if you look back and say, I now see what God was doing. And he's brought me here to this point. James says something about this in James chapter 4, verse 13. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James was trying to nip this type of arrogance amongst the Christians he was writing to in the bud by making this point very clear to them. Don't think for a second that you did this or that by your own power and abilities. Look how smart I am, how wealthy I am, how capable I am. James says what you ought to say is because the Lord willed, I was able to go do this or that, have this or that. If it were not for the grace of God working through the providence of God, you would not be who you are, would not have what you have, and would not get to do what you do. But that's all working behind the scenes, but that's what's happened, how God is working in our lives through providence. God preserves his creation 
by protecting it from destruction and providing for the needs of his creation. Not only does he have the power to call into existence everything just by his spoken word, that was in Genesis that we read, he also has the power to ensure that all things are preserved and protected and cared for also by that same power. That's what I'm meaning by providence. But let's focus then, how does God use his providence to preserve the universe and all of creation? Well, the first point is this. God preserves the universe through God the Son, Jesus. And this one to me is fascinating because the Bible says that how God literally preserves heaven and earth, everything, all of life, it goes farther than just saying God has the power to do it. The Bible specifically says it's God the Son, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, by His power is upholding and maintaining and preserving all life as we know it. Two big scriptures for this. The first one is Colossians 1.17. Paul says, He, that is Jesus, is before all things, and in Him, again, that's Jesus, in Jesus all things hold together. That's the idea. The verb hold together is a present active verb, meaning God the Son, Jesus Christ, is actively every moment of time, every second, He's doing this. What's He doing? He is upholding and maintaining all the universe, all of life as we know it. God the Son is, is fitting it together, making sure it stays together, sticks together, and works together. And He's doing that every moment of time. Hebrews 1.3 says, He, the, again, that's Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe. So there's the idea again, but we're talking about Jesus. Jesus upholds the universe, how? By the word of his power. So this phrase again upholds the universe, kind of like the one from Colossians, a little different, but again, it is a present verb, meaning Jesus is presently, actively, constantly doing this. This isn't saying Jesus once in the past did this. No, he constantly does it every day. Now, here's literally what that means, that our Lord and Savior Christ bears up and carries the universe, keeps it in constant state, maintains it every second, every moment. We don't realize it, but he is in this moment right now. The reason we can come here and do this every second is because Jesus Christ is upholding and maintaining all the universe by the word of his power. He's making life continue on and happen. He does it presently each moment. That means then creation, as we know it, is not self-sufficient. See, some people think God created in Genesis 1 and he just sort of wound everything up and his hands off and creation just kind of goes about its business. It's actually not what the Bible says happens. God did not create all things and then step back and watch it work out on its own. There are mechanisms that God built within creation, such as the day and night cycle, the ability for species to reproduce, things like that. But God created the laws of nature like gravity. We believe those things. However, though, God is still actively involved in ensuring those things still happen the way they're supposed to happen. When I say actively, I mean, again, each and every second of life, every moment as we know it. The reason it is not shearing off into chaos and destruction is because the word of God is upholding and maintaining it every moment. Let me give you an illustration. Think of a car with cruise control. You can put the cruise control on 55 miles an hour, whatever you want, and take your foot off the gas, and the car is going to continue to go that speed. That is not how the universe works. The universe works like a car without cruise control. The driver has to keep the foot on the gas the whole time to maintain the speed 
The second the driver lets the foot off the gas, what happens to the car? It slows down until it coasts and stops. God constantly has his foot on the gas, so to speak, making the universe work and go, all life as we know it. And if he were to, for one millisecond, let off and release, it would all fall away and destroy. God is constantly keeping it going and maintaining it. And again, specifically, the Bible said it's Jesus Christ doing it by the word of his power. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And notice the phrase, you, God, preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Some Bibles, your translations may say actually say you give life to them. But even if it says that, what it's getting at is God constantly, every moment, gives life to all the creatures of the earth, meaning he preserves it. So God didn't just create life. He created life, and he sustains life. He keeps it going through this idea of providence. The second thing to see is that God preserves his creatures by providing their necessities. This will involve us. In the Old Testament, sometimes we read that God would just perform a miracle and he would provide for the needs of people. You may remember Israel journeying in the wilderness and they needed food and God just literally made manna, this bread-like substance, appear. He literally had quail just sit on the ground for them to grab it and have meat. So sometimes God can do miracles to provide for people's needs. Other times, though, the more normal way that God does this is through what appears to us, I stress it appears to us, are natural occurrences of how our needs are met. But the Bible says behind the scenes, though, once again, God is providing for your needs as one of his creatures that he loves. Jesus taught on more than one occasion that God the Father is a loving heavenly Father who cares for his creatures that he made. He ensures that their necessities are provided for just like you would for your children. God does the same with us. He makes sure we're cared for and have our needs. In Matthew 6, Jesus addressed this topic of anxiety, stress over the things of life. And he gave the answer for how to stop stressing over the worries of life. He said the answer is trust in God to provide for your needs because he has the power and abilities to do that. Let me read you this section. In Matthew 6, 25, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? But those are the necessities, food, water, and clothing. And Jesus says, don't stress about that stuff. Well, why not? Well, Jesus gives an example. He says, look at the birds that fly around in the sky. They don't plant a garden. They don't sow or reap like a farmer has to. Yet they are fed by their father. The heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than the birds? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Now Jesus says, look at the grass of the fields, the lilies of the field, how they grow. Grass doesn't work and get a paycheck so it can continue to live, right? No, grass grows today. Next season it dies off, but the next season it comes back again. There's this cycle to the grass. And Jesus said, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So he kind of ends with this answer again. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things, but notice this. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows your necessities, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all that stuff will be added to you. 
God will take care of the necessities was Jesus' point. Don't stress about the necessities, stress about serving God, and he will work behind the scenes, just like with the birds, just like with the grass, and he'll make sure that you're cared for because he cares about you more than birds and grass, that's for certain. Now, Jesus said, you know, we see things happen in nature that appear to be automatic, such as uh, like birds being able to find food and eat and survive. But the point Jesus made is it was really God the Father ensuring that those natural processes happen successfully for all the creatures to find food and survive. And Jesus said again, if God's going to see to it that the creatures of the planet find their food and that grass will come back again, is he also not going to care much more for you as a human being made in his image? And the point is obvious. Jesus is saying absolutely he will. He will care for all your necessities. But the key is God will provide for our necessities, not always for our wants. There's a difference between needs and wants, right? I may want something that's really nice and good, and I can convince myself I have to have it. But at the end of the day, I don't have to have it. But what Jesus promised is your needs will be met. Not always your wants, but your needs. God will always work behind the scenes to make those things happen. God uses maybe the generosity of other people. He uses the paycheck from employment. God uses a church family. God uses all kinds of means and other people out there and resources to make sure that our needs are met. He will see to it. He'll make that happen. Now, that doesn't mean we get to be lazy and we don't have to take responsibility for our actions and work hard and have things. Notice Jesus said the birds are fed by God. But how are the birds fed by God? They still get up in the morning and go find their food and eat it. They don't just sit there with their mouth open and God drops the food in. No, they still go follow the process and God feeds them through that process. It's up to us to take responsible actions, make responsible choices with our physical abilities and our financial means. And those are going to be different based on the person. But we do that within our means to ensure that we're doing the right things to live responsibly. And through that process, the Bible says, but God's working behind the scenes to meet all your needs. Paul says in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, so far we've seen God preserves the universe, all creation, all life, and I want to stress at every single moment, he's actively preserving it. How? Through Jesus Christ, by the power of his word. God preserves his creatures, including us, by making sure he'll provide for our necessities. He'll work that out through all these processes and resources and means. Psalm 104, I won't read this to you, but if you ever want to look at all of Psalm chapter 104, I just want to share it with you. It's a very important chapter that kind of ties everything I've said together in one chapter of the Bible. And it explains how God makes all this work. Let me give you some examples from it. In verse 5, it says, God set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. See, we look at the earth and all the planetary motions And we think, look at these processes happening, keeping the earth together and the orbit and on its axis and its balance. But the Bible says, well, it was actually God that set it up that way. And he maintains it and keeps it going. But to us, it appears like a scientific natural process. He says in verse 10, God makes the springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. So again, we see animals go to a stream, a a creek, a brook, a pond, and they get water. And we say, oh, look at this natural occurrence where animals find water for them to have drink and be nourished. But the Bible says, but where do you think this water process, how it's working for the rain to water to gather in the clouds 
and the clouds get so heavy and the rain falls. And then the water flows down the mountains and fills the streams and all the rivers and the brooks and all that. How does that happen? The Bible says it's not natural, actually. It's God that created that process and makes sure it's maintained. So at the end of the day, you can say, how did that deer find water? Well, because it found water at the stream. Well, in a bigger sense, you can say God gave it water through that process. He keeps that going. In verse 14, he talks about um, how that the grass to grow for livestock and plants for man to cultivate it. God's constantly making grass to grow for us to have crops and animals to have food. And then he says in verse 27 and 28, he talks about the sea creatures. All the sea creatures look to you to give them their food in due season. I mean, think about that. He was saying that sea creatures are looking to God for their food. Now, we don't see that. It doesn't appear that way. They just swim about the ocean and find the fish and whatever they're going to eat, and they eat. It looks like a natural process to us, the food chain, we call it. But the Bible says that's true, but where do you think that process came from in the first place? Where do you think those instincts for those creatures to know how to hunt and find food came from? From God. He put that in them, and he maintains that process. And in that sense, he says that's how God provides them their food. Now, I want to read the very last section of this. I find it pretty important. Verse 29, it says, When you, meaning God, hide your face, they, that's all the creatures, they're dismayed. Notice, when you take away their breath, they die and they return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Now he says that there to make this point. Again, God doesn't just create life. He sustains life each and every second. Because the second God removed his sustaining hand from life, he says all the creatures would die. But because God constantly is giving them life, their life is maintained. I want to tell you a story that I think illustrates this. I want to stress, I don't think this story literally happened. I think it's urban legend. But the point of the story is very much powerful. There was a story going around during the worst part of the COVID pandemic a few years ago. And the story goes like this. A 93-year-old man got COVID. He got COVID so bad he had to go to the hospital and he was put on a ventilator. He almost died. Well, he recovered. And he recovered to the point he was discharged from the hospital and they gave him his medical bill. And the medical bill was pretty expensive because he had to go on this ventilator for all these days. He starts crying and the medical people think, well, he's crying because he doesn't have enough money to pay the bill. So they start explaining, look, we'll do payment plans. There's these programs that'll help. And finally, the man stops him and he says something like this. No, 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 I'm not crying because of the medical bill. He says, I'm crying because I have been breathing God's air all my life, but I never had to pay for it. Now I know how much God loves me. Now, I don't think the story is literally true. Maybe it is. But the point is very true. We, we are alive right now in this moment, breathing air free of charge. Why? Where does that oxygen come from? Because God created it and he's maintaining it every second for us to breathe it in and still live. So, God preserves our salvation is the third point I want to make. Here's also how he preserves creation. He preserves our salvation by protecting our salvation. If you're a born-again child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have your salvation for all eternity. It is sealed by the protecting hand of God. God preserves your salvation in Jesus. Again, I stress, if you are a true born-again child of God through real faith in Jesus Christ. But the Bible says he protects your salvation for all eternity. And I think there's just something to point out because sometimes I think we take salvation for, for granted and, and we just assume that, hey, we got this. But the fact is 
we have this doctrine we believe as Southern Baptists. It's commonly called once saved, always saved. Well, I believe that, but I want to be careful and not let that get too carried away. Like, I profess faith once in Jesus and that's it. That's all I've got to worry about. The Bible says you profess faith in Jesus, but how you know the genuineness of your salvation is you'll have a life lived, a lifelong lived in faithfulness and service to God through Christ. You'll have seasons of ups and downs for sure. But behind the scenes, our salvation is protected by God is what's really going on. Paul says this clearly in Romans 8, 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. He goes on in verse 38. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Paul was again saying everything. He didn't leave anything out. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, Paul was saying once you're in the hands of God, you're always in the hands of God. He's protecting and preserving you, that salvation, for all eternity. The last point I want to make about how God preserves is He preserves our lives by protecting us. And I need to stress, though, according to His will. God preserves our lives by protecting us according to His will. I stress that according to His will because here's the reality. Just because all this stuff I've said to you so far, that God provides for His creation preserves life as we know it, just because those things are true, and they are very much true, it does not mean that your life or my life will be 100% free of problems. We know this, right? I mean, we just talked about Brother Harry passing. That's sad. You know, death is a reality of life. Many of you have had medical situations. You've had family or friends with tragic situations that were faithful people in the Lord. And the question sometimes is, why does God let this happen? I'm actually going to have a message on that later on, specifically that, like how can God still be in control and we call him good and yet we have so much evil in the world. So I just want to briefly say this for this point here this morning. We need to accept the reality that God has the power to preserve and protect our lives, but it is always according to his plans for our lives. We need to accept that sometimes God permits problems into our lives so that we can grow stronger in our faith and trust him more. Sometimes God may permit problems in our lives so that we can sort of be a witness and a testimony to others around us to see the genuineness of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me share with you a couple of parts where the Bible says this. Peter was writing the letter of 1 Peter to a group of Christians who were physically being persecuted for their faith, not just they were made fun of. Like some of them were driven from their property. They had lost property. Some had been physically thrown in jail. Some had been killed for their faith. And Peter wrote to them to comfort them. And here's some things he said. First Peter 1 verse 5, he says, Who, that's you Christians, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So that's kind of what I just said a minute ago, that your salvation is preserved and protected. It's guarded by God. But Peter goes on to say this, So rejoice in that fact that your salvation is secure in eternity because here's what might happen here on earth. He says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, that's the key that strikes me, if it's necessary for God's plan in your life that you have been grieved by various trials. Various trials and sufferings had come into their life and Peter said, it's momentary, it's temporary, but it was also necessary. God brought that into your life for a purpose and a reason, a very good, holy 
wise purpose. Here's why. Paul says, or excuse me, Peter, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think I've used this analogy before here, so if you've heard it before, I'm sorry, but it just sticks in my mind. I use it all the time. But I like to weight lift and, and strength train, and you may have done athletics or various things where you were at level one and you're trying to get to level two and get better at whatever it is you want to get better at. Well, especially with athletics or like weight training, how you develop muscle, you technically lift a little bit more weight than your muscles are capable to bear at that moment. Because what happens is you mildly tear the muscle, you strain the muscle. Well, then the next day you feel like garbage. You're sore, it hurts to walk and move, but that's good. Because what's happening is now those muscles will regrow stronger than they were before. But you had to introduce a little bit of pain, a little bit of trauma to them to stimulate them to get, get their acting gear and grow even stronger. I like to share that for this reason. I think that's sometimes how God uses pain in our life. He introduces it a little bit, not because he likes to toy with us. He will sort of open the door at times and bad things may come our way, not because he hates you, because he sees that from your point A to point B, he wants to develop something in you. He wants to grow more spiritual muscles. So there may be a little bit of pain that's introduced, a little bit of struggle, a little bit of trial. And Peter could say here, rejoice in that because it's showing and testing and growing your faith, your dependency in the Lord. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I think about what Peter just said. Hey guys, when uh, the pressure's on, don't, don't, don't say, oh my goodness, God, why is this happening? Peter says, actually, say, okay, God, you've brought something my way. I'm going to trust you and we're going to get through it. Peter says, don't be surprised by it. It's, it's there for a reason to test you and to grow you. And then he even says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when the glory is, his glory is revealed. The last one from Peter I'll read is in 419. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, let them entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So again, sometimes in the Bible we read where people are in a dangerous, life-threatening situation, but God protected and saved them from it. However, other times we read a faithful servant of the Lord is in a dangerous, life-threatening situation and they are killed, and they are not protected and preserved from it. An example is in the book of Acts. Peter and John were arrested more than once, yet they were saved and delivered more than once, physically from prison, from death. Paul was arrested more than once, beaten. In fact, he was stoned, and they thought they'd killed him, but they really didn't. Now, Paul eventually ended up being martyred for his faith, but for years he had been in life-threatening situations, and God had always protected him and preserved him from it. However, you read about a man named Stephen in the book of Acts, and he's taken over by an angry mob, and he presents his testimony and his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is stoned to death, and he's killed for it on the spot. He was not spared and protected. I stress to you, though, all of those men were faithfully serving the Lord in their way, and it happened for Stephen. God decided this is what's going to happen. He is not going to be spared. But now we look to Stephen and say, look at that model of faith that in the face of certain death, 
he could still say, Jesus is my Lord, and it doesn't matter if you kill me. In fact, Stephen could forgive his killers before he was killed. Then you have other times where we see people are spared. So my point is just this. You have both. You just have to trust the Lord, though. He's preserving our lives according to his will, according to his plan. And we, our job, as Peter said, is just to faithfully serve him and trust that he's got it under his control. If, it's, if I die tomorrow, so be it. If I die when I'm 100, so be it. The point is the same. Faithfully serve the Lord and just keep plodding away and trusting that God has got it in his hands all along the way. Let me share with you two practical implications. I'll end on this of why all this stuff matters about God preserving through his providence. I think there's a couple of practical things to hang on to. The first thing is this. It allows you to live with confidence, trusting God. If everything I've just said to you is true about God has this powerful ability to preserve life and provide for life according to his will, then that means we can live with confidence, trusting God to provide and protect us according to his will. You don't have to live your life ever doubting if God cares about you. You don't have to live your life ever doubting and wondering, is God really there? Is, is, he, is he doing something in my life? You may not feel it in the moment. You may not sense it. But the Bible would say, yes, behind the scenes, he's never left you. He's always been there. So that means you can then live your life with confidence saying, I don't know what's going to come my way tomorrow, but I'm going to trust that God is still there. And he is working behind the scenes through this providence, preserving and providing for me according to his will. And he's going to work this all out according to the plan that he has for me. You can live with that kind of daily confidence that God is working all things out for your good according to his will. Even if life isn't making sense right now, you can still have the confidence that God is still working. Doing something in your life, even through that trial or that bad situation you're going through. I like Romans 8.28. I won't quote it to you, but Paul says there that all things work for good to those who love God. Basically, he's saying in layman's terms, for the child of God, everything that happens in their life is brought about for a good purpose. Now, what Paul did not say is that everything that happens in your life is good. That's not what he said. He said all things can be worked out for good because God has the power to do that. And you may not see that this side of heaven, but you have to trust that when you're in that situation, as bad as it may be, you have to have that confidence that, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm just going to trust you. You're working all this out according to your plan, and it's a good plan. The last thing this helps us do is we can live without fear of anything in life. God will always protect you and sustain you according to his will. Even if it comes to a point where we're facing death, whether through maybe we grew older and it's natural causes, or maybe we're being persecuted for our faith and the moment of testing has come and it's you know gun to the head and are you going to proclaim Christ or, or die? Those two extremes. Either one, though, if death were to be kind of in front of us there, you can still say, I'm not going to fear that. Why? Because if you believe in God's providence and his ability to preserve you, then you can trust if God is going to bring me through this and survive it, then that's what will happen. If I'm called to be like Stephen and die in this moment for that, then I win. Pastor John MacArthur, a guy out of California, a known pastor, he has a phrase, he says, the worst thing another human can do to you is actually the best thing that can happen to you as a Christian. See, the, we think the worst thing someone could do to us is kill us. Well, Pastor MacArthur was saying, yeah, but that's actually the best thing that could happen to you as a child of God. That starts your eternal life with God. 
So if you put that in perspective, death really kind of isn't a big deal. It's the start of your eternal life. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but can't kill the soul. See, another person could kill you physically, but they have no power over your soul. Jesus says only God has that kind of power. Fear God, that's him, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That's not very miraculous for me, but that's okay. So he says, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus was saying, hey, don't fear death, because even a bird doesn't fall dead to the ground without God knowing it. And Jesus was again saying, are you not worth more than a bird? Of course God has got your life in his hands. So even if the moment comes you're called to die, so what? Jesus says, you're going to live with God forever. Don't fear death. Men fear death. Men that have no hope fear death. But children of God that have hope don't fear death. And God's got everything in control, working it out behind the scenes. You don't have to live in fear that the universe, I want to say this too, I think it needs to be stressed more these days. You don't have to live in fear that the universe or the planet are just going to stop and all of life as we know it be destroyed. If you watch the news and listen to things, there's so much stuff we're told that is supposed to cause us to live in fear. You know, this, this is going to cause the planet to be destroyed and this is what's going to cause the life to end and the universe to end. I want to make this clear. Everything I just told you also means this. The planet, earth, the universe, it won't stop until God says it's time for it to stop. God is preserving it and maintaining it according to his plan and his timetable. 2 Peter 3, 7 says, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. So yes, they're being preserved for a day of fire and judgment. But he says they're being kept until the day of judgment. Now, Peter's point is this. Yes, there's coming a day of judgment, and God will create a new heaven, new earth. That's true. But in the meantime, our job isn't to live in fear of like, well, what about this new thing that's come out that's going to destroy the planet? Don't worry about that. Why not? Because it'll only be destroyed when God says it's time for it to be destroyed and not a second sooner. He's got it all in control and our job is to just live faithfully for him. So it helps you just not live in fear. Just live your life faithfully for the Lord. So, so let me summarize. Providence is God's ability to preserve. And I've said how does God preserve? Well, he preserves all the universe and life as we know it through Jesus, God the Son. He preserves his creatures by providing for our necessities. He preserves our salvation by protecting our salvation. He preserves our lives by protecting us according to his will. You can live with confidence in your life, always trusting God. And you can live without fear, always trusting God too, each and every day. Because he has that power and ability, working all things out according to the plan. But I want to end by stressing, you must be a child of God through the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. That's the only way this works. The only way to have that eternal home in heaven that I was stressing causes you to not fear death and not live in fear is only for people who say, I know my sins are forgiven. I've been washed. I've been cleansed because I have my faith in Jesus that he died for me in my place on that cross. I should have died, but he died in my place. And now God looks at me and says, I'm righteous and perfect, not because I really am perfect. Because God took Jesus' perfection and put it on me. There's a swap. He took my sin and I get his righteousness. Only through faith does that happen. And only in that way then can someone say, I'm a child of God now. And I don't have to live in fear. I have eternal home in heaven and God is working all things out in my life for good according to his plan. Lord, I thank you for the Bible teaching us things that honestly at times they're a great mystery. 
for us to fully understand. But Lord, I believe we understand enough to know that you didn't just create things, you created all things and you maintain it and preserve it and take care of it. So God, I thank you that you have the power to take care of our lives. Even when we don't really see it or sense it, we know that you're there working all things out ahead of us. So Lord, I ask now that you would help us all leave here with a greater confidence and lacking any fear of anything in life, knowing that you're preserving and providing for us according to your will. Thank you for the gift of salvation in Jesus. And in his name I pray, amen.